Hey, y'all, you're listening to the Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Dodder. To learn more about today's reading or to read along with us, check out jointhejourney.com. Thanks for joining. We're getting ready to study 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but before we dive in, I need to cover three housekeeping reminders. Number one, I want to make sure you know that you can access the full Join the Journey Bible reading plan and other additional resources by visiting jointhejourney.com or by downloading the app. But for some of us, more screen time is the last thing we need. If reading the Bible or God's Word on your computer or phone opens the door for more distractions, I'd recommend you join the journey through one of two ways. First, we've got the reading plan in PDF form on the website. So if you're local in Dallas, you can pick up a copy of the PDF at the Welcome Desk at Watermark on Sunday mornings. But if you're not in Dallas, simply click on the Resources tab, download the free PDF, print it out, and stick it in your Bible. And in addition to the PDF, the new Join the Journey guided journals are available on Amazon, just in time as we all get ready for the back-to-school routine. And lastly, before we jump in, I promise this is the last thing, If Join the Journey has been a blessing to you, we'd love it if you took some time to write a review on this podcast. Writing a review helps the Apple and Spotify algorithms put Join the Journey in front of more people. And sometimes, listeners are getting to discover God's Word for the first time. Writing a review also makes it easier for new friends to find the podcast. The more reviews, the more likely the podcast is to pop up at the top of the list when someone searches for it. All right, those are my announcements. We're talking 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So let's start with 1st John. Here's what Dr. Constable had to say. This epistle, 1st John, it doesn't contain the name of its writer. But from its very early history, the church believed the apostle John wrote it. Several ancient writers referred to this book as John's writing. So 1st John, it doesn't say John explicitly wrote it, but throughout all of history, that's what scholars have believed. And there isn't any reference either to who the first recipients of this epistle, this letter, were or where they lived, other than that they were Christians. They may have been the leaders of the churches, according to chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. And according to early church tradition, John ministered in Ephesus, the capital of the Roman province of Asia, for many years after he left Palestine. We know that he knew the churches and Christians in that Roman province well from Revelation 2 and 3. So perhaps his readers lived in that province. So here's what Dr. Constable's saying. Although 1 John doesn't claim to explicitly be written by John, everybody agrees John wrote it. And then when it comes to his audience, who was he writing to, we're left to conclude that he's definitely writing to believers, perhaps believers who are leading actively in churches. And because of what we know about John, it's likely that he was writing to a group of believers in a Roman province. It's likely. That's where they probably lived. And Constable goes on to point out that John, he's addressing some specific false teachings. So the false teachers and teachings to which John alluded to suggests that he was writing about conditions that existed in Asia. So think Judaism, Gnosticism, the teachings of prominent Gnostics and other heresies. So at the end of the day, scholars agree that John wrote it, though they're not sure when. And we know that he wrote to believers who were specifically being bombarded by heretical ideas. That's 1 John in a nutshell. Now, 2 John. 2 John is interesting because the writer, John, refers to himself as the elder, and he writes to the chosen lady and her children. So the question is, who's the elder and who's the lady? Now, I find this really interesting. A lot of women listening probably don't know that there's an epistle written to the chosen lady. And if I'm looking at that, I'm like, 
man, what, is, what does it take to be a chosen lady? Who is this person? And here's what Dr. Constable said. The writer identified himself as the elder, that's verse one, and the writings of the early church fathers attribute authorship of this epistle to the apostle John. So again, everybody thinks John wrote it. It's not in question. The early Christians commonly recognized him as the elder in view, and we might have expected John to describe himself as the apostle, as Paul usually did, since this is in an office of higher authority than elder. However, John's apostleship was not open to challenge as Paul's was. So here's what Constable's saying. Paul, because of his conversion on the Damascus Road, had a lot of people questioning, is this guy really an apostle? Whereas in the case of John, nobody was questioning is John really an apostle? They were sure of it. So he didn't need to refer to himself as an apostle because that was just given. And Constable continues, he says, there's no evidence that the early Christians questioned it as they did Paul's. Elder was a much more affectionate title, and it undoubtedly represented John's role among the churches, at least unofficially, if not officially. He was probably an older man at this time too. So it's kind of like saying grandpa, or something like that. It was an endearing term. And unlike 1 John, 2nd and 3rd John fall into the category of personal letters. So it makes sense that John would use this affectionate title for himself. And the identity of the recipient or recipients of this epistle is in question. So remember, he wrote to the chosen lady and her children. Some scholars, Constable writes, have concluded that John wrote to a specific lady and her children. Of those interpreters, some believe her name was Eclecta, I'm not positive I'm pronouncing that right, but we're going to go with it, Eclecta, from the Greek word meaning chosen. However, other scholars would say this seems unlikely, because John also called this lady's sister chosen in verse 13. And others who believe he wrote to a specific lady has suggested that her name was Kyria or Kyria, the Greek word translated lady in verse 1. However, people think this is unlikely because he uses plural language when he addresses his audience in verse 8. So, a more probable explanation is that John personified a particular local church as a lady and the Christians in it as her children. And Constable references 1 Peter 5.13, if you want to cross-check that. This view harmonizes with the common personification of the church as Christ's bride. That's Ephesians 5, 2 Corinthians 11, Revelations 19. And since John's arena of ministry was Asia Minor, the probability of his audience being a church in that Roman province is pretty likely. So here's what Constable's saying. He's like, hey, all throughout scripture, we see people refer to the church as Christ's bride, the bride being the female individual in the marriage. And so he's like, hey, it would be to be expected that John would use female language when referring to the local church. And the conditions existing in the church that John addressed are very similar to those he referred to in his first epistle. Therefore, the time of composition, the time when he wrote it, seems to have been very close to that of 1 John, 80, 90 to 95. Ephesus seems to be the most probable site from which John wrote both letters. Now, that's a lot of intellectual commentary, so let me sum it up for us. Again, 2 John. Scholars believe John wrote the letter. Most scholars agree he had a particular local church in mind as his audience and was referring to them in a figurative way by calling the church the chosen lady. However, there's differing views. We've got to remember that. But regardless, the content is consistent with what we see in 1 John and really the rest of scripture as a whole. 
So there's no reason to think that 2 John doesn't belong in our Bibles or is there by accident. It's there intentionally. The contents are gold. We just don't know all the details. But here's what's helpful. When we compare 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 3rd John, as opposed to 2nd, actually starts to stand out more. So here's what Dr. Constable said about 3rd John. 3rd John is probably the most personal letter in the New Testament. Most of the epistles originally went, of course, to churches or groups of Christians. So, you know, like the Corinthians or the Romans. And 1st and 2nd John are both this type of letter. In the pastoral epistles, while sent to specific individuals, so remember, the pastoral epistles, that's 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, they're sent to individuals named Timothy and Titus, were obviously written with a wide circulation in mind as well. And Philemon also gives evidence that Paul intended its recipient to share it with the church that met in his house. So 3rd John also has universal value in the early Christians recognized that it would benefit the whole Christian church, not just the individual. However, the content of this letter is the most personal. So the author was, again, the Apostle John who identified himself as the elder here in verse 1, just as he had done in 2 John. 3 John and 2 John, they're pretty similar. And the striking similarity in content, style, and terminology in these two epistles confirms the ancient tradition that John wrote both of them. Constable highlights, there's no internal evidence concerning where Gaius lived. That's who he said he was writing to, some guy named Gaius. Most interpreters have placed him in the Roman province of Asia. So again, we're talking, he's writing to people who live in the same geographic area, just as he was writing in First and Second John. And the name Gaius, it was a common one in the Greek world. There were other Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. There's the man Paul baptized in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 14. Paul's host in Corinth, Romans 16, 23. Paul's Macedonian companion on his third missionary journey, Acts 19. And the Gaius from Acts 20, verse 4. But none of these Gaiuses lived in the province of Asia. So we're not sure who this Gaius is that he was writing to. There were a lot of people named Gaius. Just like today, there's a lot of girls my sister's age in their early 20s, late teens named Abby. It's a common name. Gaius was a common name. But at the end of the day, even though we don't know exactly who this Gaius was, who John was writing to, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are really unique letters. Though we've got question marks as to when they were written and who exactly they were written to, the contents of these letters are helpful. They're consistent with the teachings of the rustic scripture. The early church believed they belonged in the canon, and we could too. And I'm confident as we study them together, God's got something for us. So I'm looking forward to studying these unique letters. And as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? Leaving a review helps others more easily find the podcast and read along with us. So we'd love your help.